Welcome to the Confidence and Communication Podcast. I'm your life coach, Jessica Dumas. I'm a professional speaker and coach who empowers women everywhere to use their voice to take up space and change the world. My goal is to help you speak with clarity and confidence while giving you practical guidance and tools by sharing real life experiences of overcoming. So turn up the volume and grab a pen. You're gonna wanna write this down. Jessica Dumas Coaching and Training and the Confidence and Communication Podcast is overflowing with appreciation to our first podcast sponsor, The Johnston Group, Inc. The Johnston Group provides employee benefits to more than 30,000 businesses across Canada. Thank you so much for supporting my vision and investing in the podcast. Please accept my extreme gratitude, which will help get the message of self-love, healing, and growth out to a greater audience. Welcome to the Confidence and Communication Podcast. This is Jessica Dumas. You can find me on Instagram at jessicadumas.ca. Thanks so much for being here. I've been getting so much feedback from friends lately saying, my friend who's in a different country or in a different city, it really likes your podcast. So I just want to say hey to you ladies listening in. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening because that's huge. And you know what other thing is really huge is if you would actually like do a review, (laughs) if you like it, five stars worth, please put five stars and please put a review and then maybe share it with someone. I would really appreciate that because if this, and I say this in my opening and the closing, if it matters to you, then it might matter to someone else and that might be just what they need to hear. So please and thank you so much. So I have a really great episode that I want to share with you. I have a guest and we had an outstanding conversation. We talked about decolonization. We talked about doing things even when you feel like you're scared. We talked about fashion, style, and sustainability. We talked about standard. Oh my goodness, such a great podcast. I'm going to tell you about who that is in a moment. The first thing I want to share with you is that the Confidence and Communication Podcast is overflowing with appreciation to our podcast sponsor, The Johnston's Group, Inc. So I just want to send a shout out to them. Thank you, The Johnston's Group, Inc. They provide employee benefits to more than 30,000 businesses across Canada. Thank you so much for supporting my vision and investing in the podcast. And please accept my extreme gratitude, which will help get the message of self-love, healing, and growth out to a greater audience. Now I want to tell you the amazing guest's name that I am going to share the message with you today. Her name is Angela DeMontini. She's an award-winning Cree Métis designer and artist whose designs present a contemporary side of Indigenous art and culture to the world while honoring her ancestors. Her art and designs are a modern reclamation of culture and identity, as well as a means to educate people about Indigenous knowledge and worldviews. And I can't wait for you to hear this. I was so inspired. Angela is a trailblazer and pioneer of Indigenous luxury fashion over the last two decades. Her, Her original collections have graced runways around the world. She is passionate. She's an advocate for sustainability and slow fashion and follows these principles throughout her design process. Angela is also known for being a fierce auntie and offers her time as a mentor and supporter of Indigenous women entrepreneurs and young designers, not only in her community, but around the world. And 
She's an in-demand public speaker and workshop facilitator. She strives not only to educate people about Indigenous culture, history, and worldviews through art and design, but inspires her audiences to think, practice creativity, and team build in a way that challenges their preconceived ideas and embraces Indigenous ways of knowing and being. Always looking for new ways to create, she's becoming just as well known for her gorgeous Indigenous wellness products under the brand Lodge Soy Candles, and she acknowledges that her ability to create beautiful, intentional scents using essential oils from Indigenous plants come from ancestral knowledge channeled through her grandmothers. Helping others is important to her and something she strives for in everything that she does. And I think as you hear the conversation that we shared, you will feel that energy that she brings with her. It's powerful and exciting. Angela is also an accomplished artist. She was awarded a major public art commission in 2020 for her groundbreaking All Our Relations sculpture that's slated for installation on Hamilton's waterfront in September 2023. That's coming up super soon. She's looking forward to creating the public art legacy for this city, which will include an educational component and programming for Hamilton youth. Welcome, Angela, to my podcast. Thanks so much for taking some time to share with me your story and your experience. Oh, thank you for having me. It's really an honor. I'm so excited. So I I don't remember when we originally met, but um, we're friends on Facebook and always watching each other's updates and stuff like that. And you're always posting like just such inspiring stuff. And I think the last, the last message when I, or when I finally messaged you, because I knew I wanted to have you on. I have a list of all of these amazing women you have <laughs> and the US, and I'm like, I want these women on my podcast. And it was you walking, I need to forget what it's called now, the, what is the path that you're walking on in the photo? Your name is at the back. It was like at a- Oh, the, run- oh, the runway? The runway. You're walking down the runway and you just have this beautiful smile. Like, <laughs> what were you doing that day? What's going on? Who is this lady? (laughs) That was, um, so I haven't done a fashion show. None of us have actually done in-person fashion shows for a number of years, mostly because of COVID, right? And, you know, previous to COVID, I I was doing lots of international shows in London Fashion Week and, you know, stuff all all over the, the place. This was a super important show, different kind of show that I've ever done before. And I haven't done any fashion since COVID, anything new. And it was the first time that the Woodland Woodland Cultural Center in Brantford, which is also the Mohawk Institute, um, the residential school, um, and the AGH, the Art Gallery of Hamilton, have ever collaborated and partnered on something. And actually, I think it was the Radical Stitch exhibit, which has been touring around, it has been at the AGH, you know, for last couple of months. It has been so impactful. And this is kind of like historic in the sense that you have these two uh, entities working together for the first time in history, right? And my daughter, who's 22 years old, um, it happens to be the assistant curator at the Woodland Cultural Center. And she was tasked with um, 
coordinating this entire fashion show. So there were four of us as indigenous designers and it's interesting. I think they were all mixed race. So myself, Jason Berg, Evan Ducharme and uh, Mobilize. So we're from, you know, different parts of the country. And she, my daughter, Kira had never, this was her first fashion show ever in her history to ever put together. So I was, you know, trying to be there for support, but trying not to like, you know, it was hard for me not being in control of things. I'm not going to lie. But I went and it was to be a community show. So not, not the type of show that I'm used to doing where it's, you know, super professional, the models professional, you know, there's a, um, a certain type of, of way that, that we do it. And it was really just, you know, a call out to non-models actually and indigenous women in, in Hamilton and in Brantford and the community to come out. So I spent, you know, a couple of hours trying to train them how to walk and stuff like that. And anyways, it was the most beautiful show. It was so well organized. I was so proud of my daughter. And I just loved the people we were, you know, the the young women who, you know, became the models and who I so subsequent subsequently been working with, you know, on on another show that Jason had at the ROM a week ago. And community. And so what she did was something really important and really amazing. So I was just so thrilled. And so that was our, you know, finale, you know, when the the designers come out with the models and it was just really pure joy, just being there and being able to, you know, show fashion again and all indigenous, you know, every, everything, you know, from the, the DJs to the production to the models to the hair and makeup team everything Mm -hmm. and that had not happened in Hamilton before even with all the years that I've you know had my business here that's beautiful beautiful and I'm going to share this photo I'm going to with your permission I'm going to share that on my my Instagram because it's just it's so like you see pure joy in your smile so that I mean just what you shared it sounds like such a beautiful event like so monumental for sure so I know I already said that I'm going to do, I'm going to read an intro at the beginning, but tell me a little bit about like, where is fashion for you? Where is candles for you? Like introduce yourself from, from that angle. Okay. So I am, uh, so my friends now call me the, the OG of indigenous fashion because I've been around for so long. Oh my gosh. It's been, you know, getting close to 30 years now. So, um, yeah, so you name it, I've done it. I've had, you know, I started my business originally on Six Nations and I started a factory and an industrial sewing training program in 1995 and started doing exporting to the States and, you know, all over from day one, because that's, you know, going to fashion school and working in the industry, my whole adult life up to that point, even that's how you know, it was intended to do it. Right. And at that time it was a lot easier to, to do that. There was an actual fashion industry in Canada. <laughs> I don't know if I can say that anymore, but um, yeah. So through all that and the twists and turns and um, changing direction and, you know, 
divorce and being a single mom for, you know, the last 20 years and, you know, having to just through life and situations and 9-11 and, you know, all sorts of things that impact your ability to run your business the way that you have been um, has, you know, given me a lot of strength, a lot of experience, the ability to change direction when you have to, which I do a lot when I am mentoring other designers and other artists and, and women entrepreneurs that that is really what that's a skill that you develop so that you can keep going right and so in the last I guess 2014 I moved into having my own retail space in a major city center and so on a on a major downtown city street in Hamilton which was known and becoming known for art so we would have monthly art crawls once a year, we would have something called a super crawl, which started to bring hundreds of thousands of people to the street on a, on a weekend every September. And so we started, it was an interesting process to be at the beginning of, of a street and a section of the city that was becoming well-known outside of Hamilton. And with that comes gentrification. And so while I was waiting for the street to be able to accommodate high-end luxury fashion like I was doing, because I was really the the only entity that was of that, yeah, I was really a high-end luxury product. I mean, that's what I've been doing all these years. And the street was, wasn't really quite ready for me when I, when I got there, but we renovated like from the ground up this beautiful store and this space that I was able to be in and create it really for myself my own aesthetic from a contemporary indigenous perspective and being able to have park gallery so I could feature and focus on promote other indigenous contemporary artists and jewelers and people like that it was for six years and it was an amazing experience which enabled me to get to become known in the city as far as being a business person um, did lots of you know got to know the other designers in the city and we did lots of you know sort of fundraising show fashion shows together and, and things like that and the arts community and the film community community and then when gentrification starts when you know all the hip restaurants start coming in and buildings start being bought and it was at the beginning of the real estate boom here and so all of these there were incentives for people to buy these old buildings and um, upgrade the facades and then renovate them so once that starts happening all of a sudden the artists can't afford to live there anymore because or the galleries closed because the rent has you know skyrocketed so to see all that happen and then COVID hits. So I was not in the first lockdown. I was not an essential service, quite obviously, right? So my building sold days before the first lockdown. And the new owners um, were not the same kind of people who were, you know, there to, you know, really wanting to build up the arts community there. And so I just, I 
had to close and left because there wasn't any point in me. They were going to raise the rent. Um, how, how would I be able to do that? Wow. So what I realized was. Hmm? How many years were you there when that happened? Six years. Okay. And, you know, a lot of my own personal money went into the renovation as well. Right. So it was really, it was hard. And then after spending my entire adult life in fashion and as an international level designer, all of a sudden I can't do it anymore. And so what I realized was that, you know, because of how I create product and, you know, in my store that was all related to the the fashion and the clothing it was really lifestyle. And I had a line of really beautiful soy candles that I had created and sold in the store for like 10 years um, even before I had the downtown store and, and they were really just something to have culture attached to that had essential oils from a healing wow. perspective of our indigenous plant medicines and things. And I had a very strong following for um, for them and realized that that was something that I could move online. And that was something that was people really needed because people were really having such uh, tough times with anxiety and and all and fear and all sorts of things that were going on, right? And for, just so from a holistic perspective, um, I started sort of putting self care kits together, and people were buying them for their friends and their family and whatever. And I realized, okay, this is something that I can focus on. So that's that's what I did. And so three years later, we're now in thirty three Rexall stores across the country, and. I have about uh, 20 other independent stockists across the country as well, and then sell online. So it's, yeah, it's been really amazing. Holy smokes. That's incredible. I didn't realize that you were doing the candles already 10 years prior. Mm -hmm. Wow. How exciting is that? Good for you. Yeah. Thanks. And from a, from a, a spiritual perspective. I mean, that's really where the candles came from. Um, and I've spent, you know, this is part of my personal life that I haven't, don't normally share publicly. You know, I'm a pipe carrier. I've, I'm a sun dancer. I've done many, many big ceremonies throughout the years and had the, you know, honored of working with some really amazing indigenous healers and realize i mean that was really the foundation for the candles and why i created them in the first place so throughout the last couple of years i've really especially once i started understanding my process and how i create the candles or how the scents come to me and starting to really understand that they are ceremony literally and they are coming from my grandmothers so it was just, I think, 2021 when I started understanding really the process. And so the candle called Ceremony, which is the last one that I created before uh, COVID hit, was I really created for myself. And because I was so busy and traveling and business and life, um, I really was missing being at the lodge and being able to do those large ceremonies. And I couldn't always go. And so I just kind of sat down one day and tried to envision what it smelled like, what it was like being in the lodge and the process of smudging with cedar before you go in the lodge and, you know, using our medicines when we're in the lodge and then um, burning our sacred tobacco in, in in the sacred fire once you've done your prayers. And I put all of those into the candle 
And honest to God, I never thought anybody would understand it. Yeah. And to this day, I can't keep them in stock. Oh my God, that's so So I didn't set out to be a candle company. Like that's not anything about what it's about, right? It was really just wanting to help people and, you know, provide like putting all of, all of those love, the intentions, all of that healing into these candles. And honestly, it just, it amazes me how that works still. And when people smell them for the first time, they tell me they get it like an emotional reaction to them. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. That, that is so incredible. I love how like you just took that energy of what you wanted and it's it's just it's received with that same energy that you didn't know was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that's, you know, I've spent a number of years trying to like really understand the process of, you know, when we do healings and doctrines for people, how does it work when you can do a doctrine for for somebody long distance? And how does it and I've I've witnessed that and been part of that and seeing how that works. And it's the same process. So when we start to really understand how powerful our hearts and our minds are and our energy, because it's all vibration, it's all energy, and what that can do for people, that that can literally, you know, go into something that you make and, the, and they could feel that. It's it's Absolutely. miraculous. Yeah, everything, everything is an energy, right? Whether you're doing it consciously or unconsciously, your energy is going into your work. It's going into everything that you put out. So yeah, that's, that's such a beautiful story. It's just incredible. And you know, something is interesting. So when I first started doing fashion in 95, um, it was a, a business that I started with my husband at the time, who was Mohawk from, from Six Nations. And I called it spirit wear. So spelled W-A-R-E, because we always wanted to do other same thing. I've been doing the same thing in different iterations for, you know, a couple of decades. And people could feel it when I created clothes for them because I did the same thing. So, or even if I made something custom for someone and I, I did beadwork for them, I would pray over it. I would they felt that and they would tell me that it's, you know, so it's really, it's, it's so cool to be able to do that for people. I love that. And I love that you're so conscious of that. And so aware of that, because I think many people are, especially women, I think we are, but we think it's just a private thing. We're going to put all this love and care into this product or, you know, whatever this work is that we're doing. And we think it stays there without realizing that no, like that energy and that love and the prayer and everything that you put within your product or your service is actually being received. And ooh, I just love the thought of that. Yeah, and that is the entire purpose, right? So, so when we look at Indigenous women, one of one of the things that was really, um, really kind of put all this together for me was in 2021, I was part of this amazing group of Indigenous women called the Fireweed Fellowship. And so there were 25 of us from across the country. And this was during COVID. It was all, you know, on Zoom, but it, and it was supposed to be a business accelerator program. So it was, we were all different ages, different types of businesses or services or whatever. Um, None of us, maybe a couple actually knew each other in person. 
And it was for the better part of a year. And really what ended up happening, and I I don't know, I think it was like a once in a lifetime kind of happening. And I don't think it will ever unfortunately happen again, but maybe that was the purpose, right? right? We're all healing as women together. And it created this bond and the sisterhood across the country of other indigenous women entrepreneurs that had never happened before. And I can honestly say, as being someone who is transplanted, I grew up on the West Coast in, in Vancouver and came out here to Ontario and, you know, for a decade at least lived on, you know, amongst the Haudenosaunee and like completely not my people. And yet feeling like this was very familiar to me in some way. Um, so being a complete transplant and not having any family near me or or anything, it's a very lonely thing to be in business for yourself, especially when you're a, a different nation in a different Indigenous community. It doesn't mean that I don't have friends or people, you know, that, you know, become part of my life for sure. But it is, it is tough, especially being in fashion, which is still a really brutally competitive industry. So being able to do this for the first time, to be able to connect with all of these amazing women and in a way that was based in ceremony and spirituality and it was so beautiful. So one of the words that started coming out or two words actually um, during that process was decolonization. And that was for everybody, I think it was kind of a new term that we hadn't really been using a whole lot up until that point. And then matriarch, this will probably take a little bit of time, but I have to tell you the story because it is absolutely phenomenal to me that, that this happened this way. So I was getting ready to um, launch a new website for the, the Lodge Soy Candles, and I was going to do it on the solstice on National Indigenous Peoples Day on the 20, June 21st. And I had had for, you know, about a month prior, this word in my mind, matriarch, that I felt I needed to create a completely new candle scent, something that I had never done before to honor, you know, the matriarchs in my life. Because it started really, you know, as this group of women started to talk about and, and think about our grandmothers and, you know, what they must have been through. It was like this amazing process that we were all going through. And I felt the presence literally of my grandmothers with me and a friend of mine who is a seer. She, well, she's a friend now, but she just found me randomly on Instagram looking for soy candles. And she, she can, she has that gift to be able to, you know, talk to ancestors and see them. And just in a conversation, just getting to know each other and what I do, and she wanted to buy some candles. And and she said, I see this, I think this is your grandmother. And she's talking to her. And she would, so every once in a while, she would say that. And she would tell me what she looked like, and what she was saying. And she's so proud of you. And you don't know this, but you come from a long line of powerful healers and all this kind of stuff. Anyways, I could feel that she was with me or that there were two of them. So I created this scent and I wanted to honor them. So I called it matriarch and I wanted to launch it on the solstice. Mm -hmm. 
and I'm not a floral person. I'm not, I always try to use uh, essential oils from our own indigenous plants in North America as much as possible. And what was coming to me were oils that I hadn't used before, like rose oil. And um, and then the other is like sage I, I always use. And I wanted, so I had four oils in my mind that I wanted to use. So I go to my uh, candle maker, because there's too many for me to do this on my own, right? And we sat down and, and started going through the blends. And this was about three weeks before June 20. No, it was, it was in May sometime. So probably like around this, this time or a little earlier. And I put, we put the four oils together that I had in my mind. And I was like, this is not, there's something, the fourth one is not doing it for me. So he had a bottle of cypress oil on the table and I'd never used it before. And I smelled it. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Can we try this for the fourth combination? And so we did. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is it. So normally I know what oils I'm using and I research and I know what, what they do for people, what the, the benefits are for them, right? And I knew that rose was something that is a special oil for women. It is really powerful. So anyways, I come back and I, I find out what cypress oil does for you. I knew it came from Cypress, um, you know, Greece. For So guess what it does for people? It has been used for millennia to help people with grief. And no word of a lie, the next week like not even a full week came the announcement of the 251 in Kamloops. So that was the piece that helped. I mean, that is what that candle does. And it doesn't smell like anything I've ever smelled before. And the, and the people that buy it, use it for, they put it on their altars. And it's like, it becomes a part of their life. That makes me so happy that that is something that people get right away. You know? Wow, that is so powerful. Holy smokes. I did not see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's incredible. Like it's I love that I mean clearly this is a gift. Like anyone can make candles, right? Lot there's lots of candle companies. Yeah. But to be able to like talked about earlier the energy and having that energy um all of the work and the care that you're putting into it like it's it's not just a candle product and that's clearly the way people are not just receiving it right they're taking it as part of their healing like, mm -hmm. oh that's huge yeah because uh, i wanted to use essential oils and not like you can just you know go get candle uh, fragrance stuff that's not natural, right? Yeah. And you can tell right away if, I mean, if, if your candle is called, you know, um, ocean foam or something, I don't know. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's made up. It's not real. So, it's, so trying to find actual, I mean, they're more expensive for sure. But that was the point is that I know that's why I put medicines in them in the first first place. I know what sage does for it. It's basically smudging in a candle form, like seriously. So that's how I, you know, inform 
what it is that I'm, what am I helping people with, with this particular, particular scent, right? I love that with your fashion, even when you started out and with your candles, you use the phrase high end. I really love that. And I want to know if you'll share, like, where does that come from? Because I feel like Indigenous women struggle to put themselves in that category, but you're like right out the gate. This is high end stuff. And I love that. So can you talk a little bit about that? Where did that come from? And was, did you have any hesitations? What was that like? You know, it's, it's, I think it's just how I am in a sense, because, you know, one of the, one of the things that I think I'm able to, to do is see what's missing in the market. Or then if there are things that I am looking for myself and I can't find, it's kind of, it's out of necessity in some ways. I kind of approach things from really an old school kind of mentality. And this is where sustainability comes in. So I love beautiful, natural materials. I hate polyester. I've always hated polyester. If it doesn't feel good on your skin, skin I don't want to wear it I don't want to buy it and sometimes that's all that's available to you so I want things to last so if you're like making something for somebody to me it was like super important that it was um, really as well made as it possibly could be I, I just don't want to have anything that isn't like that out out in the world that I've created right so I mean that's like a, a personal thing for me but you know, from a a fashion perspective, like personally, I mean, I always loved leather, but it scared the crap out of me because it was so expensive. And if you make a mistake, you're done, right? You, hold it, you can't go back. It's so, you know, a few years into having the factory and one, one day I just decided to make an evening gown Let's backtrack a little bit. I went to fashion school in Richmond, BC, which is now Kwantlen Polytech University and Vancouver Community College. And at that time, fashion, there were lots of factories around and things like that. And really you had to, the whole goal as a designer was to have, you know, all of your, your collections sold in other boutiques all over Canada and the US and wherever, right? And so I had a sales rep who actually became a friend. She was an, an older woman. And so we would actually go on road trips because we would like um, do the, the markets. And she would actually visit the stores that she sold to, you know, before, you know, at each season. So we would like drive all throughout BC and all these little towns. And and I would I watched her and I learned how how to sell a collection to a store buyer or retailer which was invaluable. Anyways, flashback, you know, like another decade and I'm, I'm got my own factory on reserve and all this kind of stuff. And I'm doing all these shows in the U S and I've, I'm creating these really sort of velour type casual outfits that had beautiful embroidery that was, you know, had a, a story to it and an indigenous cultural story to it. And the feedback I was getting, and so this was like in the mid 90s, right? 95, 96, 97. NAFTA was in full swing. And so 
the sales reps that were selling my, my line, they also sell other people's lines. So they may have like 10 lines from different companies and mostly not designers, mostly apparel companies, right? Because they were becoming less and less Canadian designers. Anyways, so what was happening is that, you know, so we were like cutting huge layers of, of fabric on a table and, and manufacturing, you know, like a, a few hundred of something. And what was happening is they're saying, okay, your prices are too high. You have to, because I'm competing against imports. Right. So a sales rep is going to sell the collection that's the easiest to sell. And so if people are balking, they don't care that it's made in Canada. They don't care that it's Indigenous made. They don't care about that. They just want to know that they can make their profit on it. So I was having to like lower my prices, lower up. And then one day I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm working so hard at making more of these things and making less money. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to like make something that I want to make. And so I, I did this evening dress that was on suede. And I had all this hand beaded fringe all the way down the front of it, which took me weeks. And I just did it because, right? Because I wanted to do it. And I put at that time what I thought was a ridiculous high price, like $900 for it, which to this day, I mean, for the amount of work and it didn't even cover it, but yeah. I sold it. And I was like, ding. <laughs> Why not make fewer items that I can make more money on that I love to do than killing myself making a whole bunch of cheaper things? Right. Just to try. Right? To try yeah. And so, and then I realized, you know, how I, my aesthetic is, is very, you know, the whole thing about being timeless, that if you can wear something you know, different ways that, that is my, my, um, superpower is wardrobing. Oh. So I can take, like, I can design four or five pieces and be able to have them all work together in different ways. So you've got like 20 different outfits. That's how I design and being it. And then I started designing for, and I started doing custom and made to measure because now as a Canadian manufacturer and designer, I can't compete with offshore anything. Mm -hmm. So I'm going the opposite direction. I want to still be made in Canada because it's becoming rare and rare. And I want it to be beautiful, luxurious materials and things that will last for, you know, decades. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what happened. And then my my clientele, they, became lifetime clients. And so I already knew what I'd made them before. And so I can, in the next collection, I can add pieces that, you know, can add to what they already have. So to me, that's true sustainability, right? And so go back to the fashion show that we did in April at the Art Gallery of Hamilton, because I hadn't been able to create anything new in almost three years. And the last collection I showed was London Fashion Week in 2019. I had, and I'd sold a lot of my stuff, so I didn't have that much left. I was able to put together three different collections and create outfits that looked completely new. Wow. 
And no one would have known that that was the case. So to me, that is true sustainability. And leather, not only is that in my DNA, I come, you know, my ancestors were from the prairies in Manitoba and I had a great uncle who was a trapper and, you know, that's, that is my material. And you can only cut one at a time. You can't cut hundreds and layers and other, like, this is just the nature of it. So. That's so cool. Holy smokes. I feel like it was, did it feel risky when you made that $900 dress? Did it feel risky? Cause you're like, I'm just going to do what I want to do. Because I feel like I, I try to live a lot by my inspiration and I went through lots of trial and error where I didn't trust myself. I didn't trust my decisions. Now I, you know, it's how I live, but yeah. it sounds to me like that, that was a time for you where it was like, do what's in your heart, do it now yeah. because you can, or keep going this, you know, the way that you're going, make a choice. And you took the scary choice. I've always done that. I have always taken risks. I've always done things that scared the crap out of me. And that's the only way you grow. And I say that to everyone, you know, especially younger people that I talk to, if you're not doing things that scare you on a regular basis, you're not learning enough and you're not growing. And once you've done it, then you kind of, you know, you kind of look forward to it in a sense. So and I think it has to do with me too. So my my personal spirit guide is a white thunderbird. And so thunderbirds are all about change and transformation. And that's something that I'm doing constantly. And so when you get to a place where you're comfortable with change, and it doesn't scare you, that's how I'm able to, I think, thrive in situations where I had to close my store. Like I've had a number of times in my life where I've had to start completely over. You know, I had to close my factory on Six Nations for a whole bunch of reasons and divorce and, you know, and then start from scratch. I've done that a few times in my life and you just do it. Yeah. And the same thing with, you know, closing the store. And so, Really, when you, when you look at your life, and sometimes you have to be able to take the time to be able to look back and realize certain things happen for a purpose. Like there is a sequence of events that happen that in order for you to get to where you are now, certain things had to happen and they're not always easy. And so it was amazing for me to have that opportunity to have my own retail store, to have a presence in the city. And I kind of became a bit of an indigenous ambassador to Hamilton because there was nobody else there. And so people got to, and really all I was doing was educating people the, the entire time, right? And if I hadn't have had that presence in the city and done that and people got to know me and who I was and what I do um, and got involved in the, in the arts community, I wouldn't have had, I don't think, the opportunity when uh, someone who works in the public art sector came to me in 2019 and said, so the city of Hamilton is putting out this public art installation competition out and we never see indigenous artists ever get um, to the point where, you know, they actually win these, but they never even get to apply. And we've watched you and love your work and seen your beadwork. And what do you think would you be interested in trying and applying for it? And so 
Jeremy, who is, has a, a public art company called Cobalt Connects. He said, I love your, it was for the waterfront. Okay. So there's a whole big development going um, down there. And so the theme was water. And he said, I really think that there needs to be an indigenous design, you know, that is going to go down there. And so he said, what do you think about, you know, maybe using your, your beadwork style as, as a, a way of incorporating that somehow. And so, and because I am who I am, <laughs> it's like, not only that I really thought about it, you know, and I'm not from here originally, right? I'm from the West Coast. So I wanted, it's like, okay, so if I'm going to like do this to honor the water, it's not just the water, it's the land, it's the trees, it's the animals. It's And I thought, this is how I do my prayers in the morning. It's, it's very similar to the, the Haudenosaunee Thanksgiving addresses where you acknowledge and give thanks to every living thing, right? So I wanted to make people aware of what was surrounding them, that we are connected to not only the water, which I have to say has been a dumping ground for, you know, sewage and all sorts of crap. And there's it's steel industry. So the, the harbor is like horribly polluted, right? So I wanted to make people really wake up about that. So I did research to find out what species of animals were uh, native to that particular area, the birds, the trees, everything, the, the plants, the flowers, the medicines, and the actual species of fish that were, are in Lake Ontario. And then I also know that people, that there's no recognition anywhere in the city of the Indigenous nations who were here previous and who are currently here, like nothing. So instead of like doing one little steel sculpture, I created five. <laughs> And I called it all our relations. And so each panel is, you know, my beadwork designs. So, you know, we've got like a coyote and a beaver and, you know, on, on one. And then we've got, you know, a red cardinal and, and the trees and maple trees and a blue heron and and the and the the salmon and the trout that are in, you know, in the water. And and then the middle, the central um panel has you know, grandfather, son, grandma, the moon, but it has a thunderbird at the top because the thunderbird brings the rain. And so if there's no rain and nothing here will live. So all that progression of information and then the Turo wampum belt, which honors the, the treaty between the, the Dutch and the Haudenosaunee in the 1600s and about respect and friendship. <laughs> if people don't know about that. And then um, a medicine wheel and five feathers that represent, you know, the indigenous nations who were here before and who are here currently. So we won. And it's now going to be the largest public art installation in the history of the city. Each of those panels are going to be 40 feet tall by 11 feet wide, made with hand-blown glass beads of different colors that it's, it's never been done before. So, yeah. When does this happen? <laughs> so we're installing it mid-September and our installation ceremony is going to be on September 30th, National TRC Day. Congratulations. We're having 
Thanks. So that's my legacy to the city. And not only because it, it was, I always wanted it to be, to have an education component to it. So the cool thing is, so this has been three years. It was only supposed to take a year, but you know, COVID and all, this, all sorts of delays and things that happened, but it's all divine, divinely timed. So now at the city that there is a whole department of indigenous people who've only been there for, you know, three months or so that were never, weren't there in the beginning, who are now able to help me build an education curriculum that can go into schools about this. And it's so just watching all of this happen, that it's, it's not anything to do with me. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just having that will and that desire to do this and to, to teach people and to honor everything around us. And it's just taken on a life of its own and all of this stuff is happening um, kind of without me in a sense. Right. So it's, it's um, amazing to me. It's still kind of hard for me to grasp. Yeah, totally. I bet. That sounds incredible. Holy smokes. Way to go. <laughs> and you know what? Like it, I love that one of the things that you said a little while ago was like, you need to do things that scare you. Yeah. And you're right. Like those, that's where I have found in my own experience where you get those big steps right? One of the things that I talk about in my coaching is you can take little steps and have like little moves. And the reason I believe that people do that is because they're afraid of the big steps. They're too scary. Cause if you fail, then it's a big fail as opposed yeah. to the little steps. Right. But you're yeah. just always been all in. You're like, I'm here to live. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That is it. It's like, I have one lifetime. I want to make sure that I have done everything that I, you know, there's really not enough time to do everything that I want to do, but I just to take every opportunity pretty much that comes your way yeah. to like a, embrace it. And it's like, okay, why not? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. And being scared is okay. It doesn't yeah. like, I, I think we're taught and, and maybe this is my own experience, but I feel like my experience has told me that if I'm scared, then, it, then I'm not safe, but we yeah. need to find ways. And that comes through healing and that comes through lots of different experiences to allow ourselves to know you're going to be safe. You're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, your story is what you shared today. And I mean, I don't even think we got to a lot of the story, but you shared a lot that was so inspirational. Thank you so much for being open and sharing. I'm making this assumption that the majority of the women that listen to the podcast, I'm going to say like 75%, I think are Indigenous women or women of color for the most part. And um, so the last thing I'll ask you is if there was any last message that you could share with that woman today who is looking at you know, maybe scared of her next step or, you know, just realizes, okay, there's got to be more to life. Like what, what would you say to her? Um, I would say just do what you want to do because I think there, we have an inherent belief in ourselves. I know that I do, even though I 
think some days, you know, there were so many days I wanted to quit. Why am I doing this? I hate this. It's so hard. And oh my God. Right. But then I remember, you know what? I've been through some really tough challenges that I've somehow made it through. And I, I really think it comes from like a spiritual place where this is what I came here to do. And so, you know, the, the things that you love usually, or, or that you're good at are usually means that that's a gift that you have. And so if you, you can't really go too far wrong if, if you focus on that. Yeah. Beautiful. I love it. So lodgesoycandles.com is where people can go and check out your candles to buy and support your company. How else? And right now we have the summer solstice, which actually has a ceremony that I like a pipe ceremony, a sacred fire that I am doing every year. So one coming, coming up next month for this. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Thank you. Where else can people connect with you online? Uh, Instagram, Facebook. So I have, you know, two of everything. (laughs) (laughs) Instagram accounts too. (laughs) Got Angela DeMontene, you know, or, or Lodge Soy Candles, either either or. Awesome. Thanks so much for sharing today. It's beautiful. Thank you for giving the opportunity. I love that. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you, Angela, for being on the show. And to everyone listening, I hope that you enjoy. and let me know on Instagram. Thanks so much for being here and listening to the podcast. Miigwech, ekosay, merci. I want to take every opportunity that I can to tell you that you are worthy. And if something in this message resonated with you, please leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts and send a link to your sister, your best friends, and your cousins, because if there was something in this message that resonated, then they might want to hear about it too. If maybe taking a screenshot is your thing, share it on your Instagram story. And don't forget to take me at jesskadumas.ca.